Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Again, we're just going to read through 5. It says, Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of, of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. These first five verses, we, we have a description of the tabernacle. And this was God's dwelling place amongst His people, amongst the Israelites, during all of their wanderings, and even during their entrance into the Promised Land, up until the time of David, when David longed to build a, a, a more permanent house for the Lord. And of course, you remember, God wouldn't allow him to do that because of all the blood that he had shed. And so it was left to his son Solomon to actually build the temple. And I want you to know that this thought of tabernacle, or God dwelling amongst man, is a huge theme throughout all of Scripture. It's of great importance. In fact, the Dutch theologian Herman Witz, that's his English name, his Latin name is Herman Witzius, lived from about 1630 to the early 1700s. He said this about the tabernacle. He said, God created the whole world in six days. But he used 40 to instruct Moses about the tabernacle. A little over one chapter was needed to describe the structure of the world, but six of them were used for the tabernacle. And, and, and I, would, I would say to uh, Mr. Witz, if he were here, of course, uh, when God created the world, he, was dealing with, uh, he, he wasn't dealing with hard-headed, fear-filled, prone-to-wander-off workforce. You know what I'm saying? When he created the world, it was probably a little easier. Uh, he, he knew Moses. He knew the people. He knew it was going to take a little longer. Um, but, but the point still stands. The tabernacle is important. It's important. It's important as Christians that we understand the tabernacle and specifically that we understand uh, what it represents and, and who it points to because, again, it all points to Jesus. Listen to what John writes in John chapter 1, uh, verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling amongst us. And that word dwelling in the Greek is actually the word tabernacle. Word tabernacle. That, that literally, Jesus, uh, the Word, came and, 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 and tabernacled with us. God dwelling with us. Uh, Jesus was God's tabernacle with, with man. And so while our author in verse 6 says he can't discuss these things in detail now, we're going to. <laughs> Just take a moment. Uh, I, I'm a big believer that, that when you're working through a book, uh, and you're just going verse by verse, and you run across something that needs explanation, that you go ahead and take the time to explain it. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to explain how everything in this, this tabernacle, this earthly tabernacle, points to Jesus Christ, that, that, that everything here is actually a symbol for Jesus. In fact, that's our lesson this morning, that Jesus is better than a symbol. Jesus is better than a symbol. And so uh, just four things that, that I want to share with you uh, here in a second. And, and, and before we do, um, 
I don't know about you guys, but I, I learn visually. I'm a visual, visual person, so if you're a visual person, this is for you. Uh, I want you to see what we're talking about, okay? You've also got this in your sermon notes. I, I couldn't remember last night if I'd put it in your sermon notes. I peeked this morning. Yes, you have it there, and uh, so maybe you can read it clearer there. But this is just kind of a, an image of, of what we're talking about here, right? And, and so if you look at verse 2, it says a tabernacle was set up. And then it goes on to explain what was in the first room. It says in this first room, it's kind of called the holy place, there, there's, first of all, there's a lampstand. Now, that lampstand is, is a menorah, uh, is another way that we call it. Basically, it had, it had seven um, branches uh, that would hold candlesticks, though they weren't really candles. They, they used wicks that were, that were dipped in oil uh, that would burn constantly there. Um, and, uh, and so that was kind of the first thing. So you've got the lampstand. Now, now across from the lampstand, on, on the other side of, of the tent, uh, there is, is, it's the table of showbread. It's also, uh, they call this the, the bread of presence. And there's 12 loaves of bread on this table. And, uh, and, and basically they'd, they'd be out for a week and then, and then the priest would take them and eat them and they put out new bread. And so 12 loaves of bread here. Uh, and they called this the bread of presence or the, the table of presence. And this area is kind of called the holy place, according to our author here in Hebrews 9. Now, now again, according to our author, then there's, there's another curtain. And, and he says behind that curtain is the altar of incense. And you're going to notice that's not actually the case here in our drawing. You're going to say, what's, what's going on with that? I'll explain that in a second. Uh, and so, so again, the altar of incense, this is a place that incense would be burned morning and night. And the big deal and the reason why it's associated with the back of the curtain is because this incense had to be taken into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. Had to be. It had to be. It was, it was an offering. And so it's associated with what happens behind the curtain. But, but according to Exodus, uh, it actually is in front of the curtain. It's like kind of really probably right up against it. And so uh, not to light it on fire, but you, you know what I'm saying. Okay. And so incense is burned here. The priest would take the incense there uh, on the Day of Atonement. And then finally, uh, you have the Ark of the Covenant. You have the Ark of the Covenant and, and what the Ark contains. Of course, it's got the manna. It's got Aaron's staff that had budded uh, and... and uh, and then it's got the Ten Commandments. All of that's in the Ark of the Covenant. And then he describes what's on top of the Ark of the Covenant. He says there, covering the Ark is the mercy seat. Covered in gold. Cherubim with, with angels' wings that, that, uh, that rose up together. And there, where, where they came together to meet, it is said that the visible cloud or the visible presence of God would dwell. It's kind of a big deal. So, so that's what's going on. Uh, that's what's going on here, here with uh, the tabernacle. And, and what I want you to see this morning is that everything described here is just a copy. Everything described here is just a copy. It's just a symbol. In fact, we learned that last week. Hebrews 8.5 says this. It says they, they serve, it's talking about the high priest, at a sanctuary that is a copy. It's just a shadow of what's in heaven. Therefore, everything in the earthly tabernacle is a symbol for something of the true tabernacle. And so this morning, that's what we want to talk about is the symbolic meaning of each of these items and how they point to Jesus. Let's start with the lampstand. Start with the lampstand, with the menorah. And, and here's what I want you to understand. This is, this is how it points to Christ. I want you to understand this morning that Jesus is a better light. That Jesus 
is a, a better light. Now, now, during their wandering, of course, the, the Jews, uh, during their entire time, if you look from the moment that they left Egypt to all of their wandering in the desert, the Bible says that there was a pillar cloud that never lifted from them and it never left them. During the day, it would go before them and it would kind of block the crazy heat from the desert so they wouldn't just burn up. And at night, it says that the pillar cloud would, would come down and, and, and that was kind of their symbol to stop and make camp. And it would come down, it would, it would glow amongst them and provide heat and warmth. And it was a symbol of God's presence with his people. Okay? This, this pillar cloud. Now, in the tabernacle, you understand there were no windows. All right? There was no stained glass. There was no green. There was no blue. It was, it was just dark. And, and so, again, they, they, had, they had this menorah uh, that they would light. And it would constantly burn and glow. Again, a reminder of God's presence. Plus, it actually let the priests see what they were doing. Now, why is that a big deal? This is a big deal because in John chapter uh, 7, um, or John, yeah, John chapter 7, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem during the feast of, get this, tabernacles. Kind of important because we're talking about the tabernacle, right? So John chapter 7, it says Jesus waits for a little bit, then he decides to go to the feast of tabernacles, uh, also called the feast of booths, um, because they would make booths or tents for themselves to live in. And what they're celebrating the whole time, the whole feast of tabernacles, they're celebrating the time that God dwelled with them while they were in the desert. The time that God tabernacled with them. Remember now John 1.14. That, that Jesus, the Word of God, came to tabernacle with us. So we're understanding. That, so they're celebrating a time that God did tabernacle with them. Jesus has come to tabernacle with us. And, and, and this is what's going on. And so, so as a symbol of this great cloud, they built this massive menorah. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was a copy of what was in the tabernacle, except it was bigger. And so if you can imagine this giant uh, menorah with seven kind of, kind of uh, stands there, and, and they had these huge uh, lamps uh, upon it, and they would light this menorah all week, and it would burn all week. And, 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 and scholars say that it was so bright that all of Jerusalem would be aglow. Okay, if you're imagining how big this, this menorah is. And so Jesus comes into Jerusalem during this feast when they're celebrating a time that God did dwell with them. And he stands before that menorah, it's believed. It, it, basically the, the foot of, of the temple. And some even think it's as they're, they're turning out the lights. As, as, as they're going from this great celebration of when God was with them to back into, oh, we wish he'd come back. And Jesus says, no. I tell you, I tell you, listen to this, it's John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. He's saying you don't have to look back to a time that God was with you. You don't, you don't need a symbol of, of God's presence. I am God's presence here and now. I am God tabernacling with you. Jesus is a better light. What's the next object we talked about? The table of bread. Bread of presence, right? The table of presence. Now, what was on the table? Do you remember? It's bread. How many loaves? Twelve. One for each tribe. Do you remember anything involving Jesus and bread and twelve? Does that sound familiar? 
Because, because there, there's another story in John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, Jesus is out teaching and, and large crowds show up and he looks to his disciples and says, you know, they say, hey, it's kind of getting late in the day, teacher. We've got to send them away. And Jesus says, no, we're going to feed them. I want you to tell them to sit down. And they're like, well, wait a second. We, we don't have any food. And he's like, no, just, just, you know, go. And Andrew comes, hey, I found a boy. He's got five loaves and two fish. And, and so with five loaves and two fish, Jesus feeds thousands of people, not just 5,000. That was just the men. And so, so he's feeding and feeding and feeding and, and we know there's thousands and thousands of people filled and at the end of that miracle it says that he sends out the disciples and they pick up 12 baskets full of crumbs of leftovers and then Jesus tells them to get in the boat and so they get in the boat and they cross over and you remember he goes up to pray and then he walks out to him in the middle of the night Jesus walking on water Peter walking on water for a little bit sinks grabs him gets over the other side just pray a long night all of a sudden the crowd wakes up there's no bread so they come to Jesus, and they walk to Jesus, and they, and they say uh, to Jesus, listen, you know, uh, hey, by the way, uh, Moses fed our forefathers for 40 years, and that was cool what you did yesterday, but you want to start that trend back up? And Jesus corrects them. He says, actually, it wasn't Moses that fed your forefathers for 40 years. It was my dad. His name's God. But, but let me share this with you. And this is what he says in John 6, 33. He, he's saying, get this, he's saying what, what Moses did, it's a symbol. He says, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Not food to the world, but life to the world. That, that's the true manna. And, and, and so they say, from now on, then give us this bread. And then listen to what he says, John 6, 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is better bread. Again, it's a symbol. So we're moving on. What's next? We've got the altar of incense. We've got the altar of incense, right? And that, 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 uh, it, it's difficult for us. We don't know exactly what that is, but and we just sang about it a little bit, actually. I want you to, David kind of gives us a really cool clue as to what this incense represents in Psalm 141. Uh, and he says this, he says, uh, may my prayer be set before you like incense. May my prayer be set before you like incense. And, and what David is kind of cluing us into is that's what incense was. It was a fragrant offering unto God. It, it, it was a symbol, incense was a symbol of prayer, is, is what it always meant to the Jews. And, and, and so constantly, morning and night, incense is burning there in the holy place. And, and on, the, on, on the Day of Atonement, what did the, the high priest have to take back there? He had to take incense. Why? Because he was afraid God was going to kill him for the sins of the people and for his sins, because he was a sinner too, remember. And so he's entering into the presence of the most holy place, the presence where God's visible presence could be. And he, he's entering in, and, and, and he's kind of waving this incense, and it's almost like the, the white flag of surrender. He, he's saying, God, please please intercede on, on our behalf. You are holy, we are not. What I want you to see this morning, again, uh, it's just a symbol of, of intercession. And, 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 and here's our, our lesson here. Jesus is a better intercessor. Jesus is a better intercessor. And that, that, that's what the altar of incense teaches us, right? We, we learn this uh, in Hebrews 7, but this is what Hebrews seven twenty five says. It says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Get this, because he always lives to intercede for them. And I don't know what you're going through in life. I know oftentimes we kind of feel like we're alone. 
We feel like nobody can understand. I'm here to tell you there is one who understands and who stands in your defense. And he lives. He's not dead. Right? He lives. He conquered death. And he lives now for the purpose of interceding for you. Does that not rock your world? Does that not mess you up just a little bit? That not only did Jesus die for you, but he now lives for you. To the glory of God. Amen. Amen. And, and, and so Jesus is, is a better intercessor. And that just kind of leaves the, the last part behind the curtain. The, the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant. And specifically I want to talk to you about the mercy seat. And the last thing I want you to see again. It's a symbol. I want you to see Jesus is a better mercy seat. Jesus is a better mercy seat. So on the day of atonement the blood of, of animals was sprinkled upon the mercy seat. Now why? Oh, we know, and, and we've talked about this throughout, we'll get there again. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remissions of sin. But why on the mercy seat? Why? What's within the ark? The law. What have the people done? They have broken the law. And, and, and so the blood was a way of covering their, their, their brokenness. It was a way of covering their, their sin, remember? We've been saying this through, throughout the study that Jesus is better than that. Jesus doesn't just cover our wrong. And, and, and that's what happened with this mercy seat, with the symbol. Only wrong could be covered. But in Jesus, not only is wrong covered, but he gives us the power to be right. He gives us the power to be right. This is, a, this is a better mercy seat. And we get to come here, friends, and we get to fully rest here. We get to place all of our efforts here. We, we don't have to work or to- toil or, or labor, but rather it's done. It is finished, and we get to sit down and have our amen moment in Christ because He has done what we could not do. He has fulfilled all of the law. And because of that, we are made holy, we are declared holy, and we're being made holy. And so Scripture says, be holy, because that's what you are. Not because you have to, but because that's what I've declared you to be, and that's what I am making you. So walk in me, be holy. Jesus is is a better mercy seat. And friends, I just want to share this with you, I'm almost done. This is our true place of rest. Resting fully upon what he has done for us. This is Emmanuel, God with us. God tabernacling with us. This is Jesus. And if you're going to talk about the tabernacle, you've got to understand that every ounce of it points to him. Okay? So what do you do when you get that kind of understanding? When the Old Testament begins to kind of be, be sparked into life and you begin to kind of see it, and go, oh my gosh, that's, that's pretty cool. Everything there is really pointing to him. Did Jesus really fulfill all this? Yeah, he really did. So what does it mean for you? Well, the first thing I would say for us guys is this. I think it means that we, we need to make sure that we're not satisfied with symbols. Right? We need to make sure that we're not satisfied with symbols. You say, but Pastor, we don't have menorahs and, and, and we don't have the, the bread of presence and we don't have all that kind of stuff. Oh, you, you don't think so, really? Because, friends, I'm here to tell you that anything can become a symbol. Anything. All, all right? I, I, guys, worship. What we, what we do in this place, you don't think that can be a symbol? Walk through the doors, sing some words, it's on a screen, leave unchanged, that can be a symbol to you. 
You don't think listening to somebody preach can be a symbol? Check that off my list. Yep, that guy yelled at me for a little bit. Good. All right, checked it off. I'm going to go back and do it. That can be a symbol to you. Your attendance can be a symbol to you. Your tithe can be a symbol. All of those things can just be a symbol. Your quiet time. Well, I read my Bible today. Check. I checked it off my list. I'm here to tell you, you can do lots of things without truly seeking him. All right? There's a a whole lot of stuff you can do in life and you can check the list and you can look really good on the outside, but on the inside you are without him. And that means that it's a symbol. And friends, I'm here to tell you, it is more dangerous than you think. It's not that hard to stand around some, some great symbol in your life and remember a time that God was with you. It's not as hard as you think. And Jesus is is God tabernacling with us. And he comes to say, no, you don't have to think back to a time that God was with you. I'm here with you now. I will never leave you or forsake you. And so we stand here, not, not back in the past, not thinking to a future time, but rather the fact that Emmanuel is God with us now. This is what God in the flesh looks like on our behalf. This is our tabernacle. And so we need to make sure that we don't create symbols. That we come and we sing and it reminds us of a time that God did something. But rather that if we come and we sing, we do so not with Jeremiah 29.11 in our mind, but with Jeremiah 29.13 in our mind. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so when we give, we give with Jeremiah 29.13 in mind. God, God, not only is this a symbol, it is. And, and, and hear me, God, the symbols are bad, okay? Like, don't walk away and go, well, I'm not going to church. I'm not singing anymore. He said that was a, that, that's all I'm saying. The symbols are good, but the symbols are always meant to point to the source. And the source is Jesus. But I'm telling you, it's so easy to become a Pharisee. Whew. Accidentally. It's easy to become. Anybody an accidental Pharisee? Has that ever happened to you? Can I just, can, I mean, it has happened, right? And you look back and all of a sudden you're like, oh, what happened to me? It's so easy to stand around some big lampstand and think, oh gosh, remember that time that God was so good and God's going, hello, I'm unchanging. I'm good today too. I'm good today too, okay? So the first thing, don't, don't get caught up in the, in the symbols, Don't get caught up in the symbols. Don't be satisfied with them. Number two, uh, because the symbols always point to the source, my encouragement to you then would be to spend your life. Okay? Uh, Some people would say waste your life. uh, And not not in a negative connotation. Give all of your life uh, being centered in that source. Being centered in that source. I want to read to you, John. I'm 15. I'm going to turn to a couple of places real quick. I know that's weird in the application section of the sermon, but uh, I, I pray our application is always scriptural. So, uh, John 15. Jesus says, I'm, I'm the true vine, and my Father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he, he prunes, so it'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean because the word that I've spoken to you now remain in me and I will remain in you. It's abide in me. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'll just pause there for a moment. It is possible for a Christian to not be walking in the center of God's will. We all know that. And if you're there, you're miserable because at some point you've, you've, you've borne lots of fruit in your life. And, and God just says, yeah, but when you're not walking in the center of my will, that fruit's not there, is it? Boy, that's misery, isn't it? 
Isn't that, isn't that misery to, to, to be walking in, in a fruitless life when you've, when you've had abundance? You know what that causes you to do? Build symbols. You know, you know what it causes? It causes when, when, when you've seen the fruit, when, when you've seen the bread, when, when, when God's fed you from heaven, and, 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 and then you're not walking in his will anymore, and you walk outside and there's no bread, you know what it makes you do? It makes you think back to the time there was bread. Makes you, make, makes you build some kind of big menorah and celebrate. And, 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 and Jesus has the answer. He says, well, here's the answer. It's just me. So, so, so don't do that. Don't walk outside of me. Just remain in, in me. He goes on, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in, in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers and such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So we've got to waste our lives. We've got to give everything we have. Just focus on being centered in the source. And I, I want to read one more verse to you because a lot of people say, I don't know what even, uh, I, that doesn't even make sense to me, Pastor. I don't even know what that kind of life looks like, right? Uh, we actually find it back in a, a section of Scripture that the, the Jews would have memorized, uh, the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is something that they would quote daily of something that their children were very aware of. And if you're ever looking for, well, what is a life really centered in the source? What is that supposed to look like? And, and, and remember, these guys, even having this, this became a symbol to them, okay? They would repeat it, not live it. So it's possible to know it. But, but this is just kind of a picture of what that looks like. And so Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. He says, impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your heads and bind them on your foreheads and write them on your door frames of your houses and your gates. He's saying, listen, every aspect of your life should be centered around God. So, so when you get up in the morning... Hey, how are you today? What can we pray about, darling? This is what I just read in, in my quiet time. Man, I had, I'd never thought about this passage like that, right? You know, when, when, when you're away from your spouse during the day and, and you hear something, maybe it's on the radio or, or, or maybe you're listening to a podcast or maybe you just read um, some scripture and it speaks to you. You know what you do? You text them with it just, just to keep mindful. What if all of our conversations were centered around the gospel? How different would our lives look? What if, what if we actually took that, that iron sharpens iron thing literally and, and encouraging our brothers? And, and that's what we did. Every time we heard an encouraging word, we make sure we shared it with somebody else. What if when you walked in our homes, we actually had scripture posted? <laughs> you know, like we believed it. There is a way to live a life centered in Christ. But it can't, it can't be about the symbols. It has to be about the desire to be there. And, and this is the promise of God. If you want me more than anything else, you will always find me. You will always find me. God with us. God with us. It's the glory of the gospel, isn't it? God dwelling with us, and even better because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for choosing to tabernacle with us. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for how often we lift up 
things, symbols, how often we get caught up in thinking about times that you were with us, times that you did this, times that we felt this or felt that, and that we would all remember that you are with us right here and right now. And God, my prayer just over the next couple of moments is that you would meet with us in a powerful way. That's why, that's why we gather in this place. We, we enjoy seeing one another. We enjoy shaking hands and hugging necks. But most of all, we truly want to meet with you. We truly want to meet with you. And would you just meet with us um, just over the next few minutes? Center us around your word. Remind us of who we are. In Jesus, it's in your name we ask these.